Hello, I'm Monica Reinagel, and you're listening to episode number 402 of the Nutrition Diva podcast. Welcome. We're talking about Ayurvedic medicine and nutrition today, but I also have a few other little goodies for you, such as the answer to a food safety question sent in by Ralph. That'll be at the end of the podcast and a great example of a nutrition trade-off sent in by Cheryl. And I thought we'd start with that. As you may remember, a few weeks ago, I had an episode on nutrition trade-offs. These are situations where you're choosing between two options that each seem to have both positives and negatives, and that was episode number 399. Well, since then, we've had sort of a running series on this topic, both here on the podcast and on my blog at nutritionovereasy.com, and it's been a fun way to exercise our nutrition skills. So this week's example, as I said, was sent in by Cheryl, and it's on the trade-off between whole grains and refined grains. On the one hand, whole grains like whole wheat bread and brown rice have more fiber, and that means they have a more modest impact on your blood sugar. On the other hand, sometimes you just want to enjoy some white bread or white rice. So listen to how Cheryl has negotiated this. She writes, I eat about five servings of grain a week, but when I do, it's nearly always white. For example, I don't buy bread very often, but when I do, it's fresh white bread from a bakery. We eat white rice, but just a couple of times a week, and in serving sizes of just half a cup. When we eat pasta, we eat white pasta, but it's only once a month or so. Eating fewer grains frees me up to eat more fruits, vegetables, and nuts. So the way I think about it is four servings of fruits, vegetables, or nuts plus one serving of refined grain is better than five servings of whole grains. Cheryl, I couldn't agree more. If you're eating small amounts of grain-based foods and do you prefer the refined versions, you have my blessing. As I've said many times before, the portion size of grain-based foods has a much bigger impact on your blood sugar than whether or not the grains are refined. Now, if you're eating lots of grain-based foods, so not five servings a week like Cheryl, but maybe five servings a day, well then choosing whole grain becomes much more important. But even with whole grains, you need to consume them in moderation. So thanks, Cheryl, for that great example of a nutrition trade-off. I think you're right on track with that. Beth writes, I've been listening to your podcasts for a long time. I enjoy them, and I find you to be a trustworthy and balanced source. So I'm curious what you think about Ayurveda. Is there any science to back it up? Well, first, thank you, Beth, for those kind words. That means a lot to me. And also, thanks for a great topic suggestion. Ayurveda is an ancient Hindu system of medicine, as well as a general philosophy of health and wellness. It includes advice on diet, exercise, sleep, and hygiene, as well as the use of herbal preparations. Like most traditional medicine systems, Ayurveda has been developed and refined over thousands of years using observation and experience. And that's exactly where science begins. In fact, the Sanskrit word Ayurveda literally translates to the science of life. Humans have a few unique attributes that make us predisposed to scientific inquiry and discovery. 
First, we are excellent at pattern recognition. We're very quick to notice that certain things always seem to occur together, while other things never occur together, or that a certain sequence of events usually seems to lead to the same outcome. We're also predisposed to believe that things happen for a reason, which drives us to come up with explanations for the things that we observe. This talent at pattern recognition, plus our desire to figure out cause and effect, give us a little bit more control, or at least the illusion of control, over our environment and the ability to anticipate and prepare for future events, and this has given us a powerful survival advantage. Although this is where science begins, it's not where science ends, because we're also prone to see patterns or cause and effect where there actually aren't any. For a few millennia, for example, we believed that dancing in a certain way would make it rain, or that sacrificing animals or virgins would cause the crops to grow well. We also sometimes come up with an explanation that seems to fit the available evidence, but turns out not to be true. For example, at some point in our history, we observed that people tend to be weak if they lose a lot of blood, and that eating red meat can revitalize them. In other words, we figured out how to treat iron deficiency anemia long before we knew anything about iron or hemoglobin or red blood cells. But because we always want to have an explanation for things, we reasoned that the spirit and energy of the animal entered the person eating that animal. The modern scientific era began when we started developing a methodology for testing our hypotheses. We learned to design experiments that minimized variables, as well as the unconscious influence of the experimenter, the placebo effect, and so on. And with those tools, we have been able to weed out all kinds of ineffective medical treatments from the effective ones. And we've been able to replace inaccurate explanations with more accurate ones. And these new, more accurate understandings have given rise to even more effective treatments. So back to Ayurveda. It is grounded in observation and experience, the foundational pillars of science. And some Ayurvedic herbal remedies have now been evaluated in placebo-controlled trials with mixed results. However, Modern scientific method is, by design, only concerned with things that can be measured. Ayurveda, on the other hand, is far more esoteric, and it involves lots of things that cannot be easily measured by the instruments and methods that are used by modern science. In Ayurveda, for example, your regimen is customized according to your dosha, or your energetic constitution, as well as any energetic imbalances that may be contributing to your symptoms. That theory is a little hard to test with modern scientific methods. But you know, people who believe in this system of medicine are content to do it the way it's always been done. I'm reminded of an old story of the young newlywed who asked his mother for the recipe for her famous pot roast, which was one of his favorite dishes. She gave him the entire recipe step by step. Step one, cut about an inch off one end of the roast. Step two, brown the roast on all sides in a little olive oil. Step three, season with salt and pepper, and so on. Why do you have to cut an inch off the end of the roast, he wanted to know. 
I'm not sure, his mom answered. That's what your grandmother always did when she made it, and her pot roast was always perfect, so I've just always done it the way she did it. Because he was curious, the young man rang up his grandmother to find out the reason for this essential step. You see, he was a scientist at heart. Grandma, he said, why is it necessary to cut an inch off the end of the roast before you cook it? It's not necessary, she said. I just had a small roasting pan, and I could never fit the entire roast into it, so I cut a little off. I'm not saying that Ayurvedic medicine or nutrition isn't valid. Any system built on thousands of years of careful observation is bound to have figured out a lot. And herbal medicine, such as Ayurveda, is the direct precursor to modern pharmacology. I'm just saying that there may also be a lot of folklore, myth, and false notions in the mix as well. You might be getting good results, but you might also be spending time, money, or effort on things that aren't actually contributing much to those results. You might be throwing away an inch of your pot roast for no good reason. And finally, when our explanations for why things work are based more on myth and lore instead of biological understandings, it does limit our ability to expand those understandings. And that may be why Ayurvedic medicine has not evolved as dramatically as modern medicine has over the last hundred years. For better or worse, it's practiced today much the same way as it was when we believed that the sun was being dragged across the sky in a chariot. Of course, modern medicine has its weaknesses and its blind spots as well. The challenge and the opportunity that we have here in the 21st century is to enjoy the benefits and wisdom of our ancient philosophies as well as the insights and advances that modern science has brought us. What are your thoughts on Ayurveda? You can post them on the Nutrition Diva Facebook page or on the transcript for today's episode, which is at quickanddirtytips.com. And finally, my friend Ralph wrote this week with a great food safety question. When I buy chicken or meat, he says, I like to wash it under cold running water before cooking it. A friend of mine claims that chicken or meat must be washed in boiling water to clean it. Is one method better than the other? Is either one necessary? Ralph, not only is it not necessary to wash raw meat before cooking, it's not a very good idea. It doesn't actually reduce bacteria, but it can easily spread bacteria to other surfaces in your kitchen, and that can lead to foodborne illness. For a longer version of my answer to Ralph's question, including some additional food safety tips for when you're brining your meats, check out my blog on nutritionovereasy.com, where you're also welcome to submit your nutrition questions. I always love to hear from listeners. That's it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and now have a great week, and remember to eat something good for me. 